You've tuned in to our final episode in our spirituality series. I want to thank Reverend Faye Forbes and Lisa Loisel, our co-hosts, and all of the participants, singling out today, Matt Deneen and Janice Keefe. Matt is the husband of Lisa, who was diagnosed with frontal temporal dementia nine years ago at the age of 43. They have two children. Matt has become an advocate for people who are impacted by dementia and is deeply rooted in his faith tradition. Janice is a distinguished Canadian researcher on caregiving and is a professor at Mount St. Vincent University in Halifax. Today, however, she shares her experience with us as a caregiver to her mother and how spirituality has provided her with a place to find respite and strength as she provided support to her mom. So welcome to you both. So to begin the podcast today, can each of you share your personal story and relationship to being caregivers? Matt, maybe I'll go first if that's okay. Um, So my caregiving experience comes from uh, caring for a mom uh, who had uh, uh, dementia. And uh, I'm from a very large family. I actually have eight siblings. I am currently in her house, in her bedroom right now. So I talk about spirituality and the and the presence. Uh, I really learned a lot from her, um, even though I was a professor and had been doing research on family caregiving for many, many years, three decades. My experience was primarily positive. I was very much blessed by having a lot of support. My mother was blessed by having so much support from her community, from her children, and from her grandchildren. So I may have a bit of a Pollyanna experience. Thanks, Janice. But I imagine it's different coming from that personal perspective as opposed to coming from the teaching and research perspective. Absolutely. I mean, I think there was a higher power that said to me that the month that I became the Canada Research Chair in Aging Policy and Caregiving, my mother went into the hospital with bowel cancer, and I became a full-time caregiver. And I swear, I, as soon as someone came to give me respite, I was out the door. I didn't even want to talk to them. I, it was like, okay, it's catching up with you. And Matt, what's your story? Well, as Janice alluded to, just uh, what the, the world, the ironies that uh, can come upon us uh, back in, um, well, January of 2013, my wife, Lisa, uh, at the young age of 43, was diagnosed with behavioral variance, uh, frontotemporal degeneration, or BVFTD, as it's known, and um Life has changed uh, since then, to say the least. Uh, She now resides in a long-term care home and and has uh, next month, it will be uh, eight years. So shortly after her diagnosis, um, a series of events happened that uh, just for her safety necessitated that she enter long-term care. And um, she's well looked after there and uh, and safe and in, in getting her needs met but uh, it was certainly uh, rock my world it I'll be honest it uh, it brought my faith life to um, really a crossroads where either all this stuff is a lifelong catholic 
raised by my parents. You know, my grandmother, I think of her dearly, uh, the influence that she had on me, that it was either, you know, the rubber hits the road here. And um, my world kind of did come crashing down including my faith life and to this day I've been putting it back and uh, very in a very good spot um, and uh, have learned a lot through uh, through life's experiences. I know you became a single parent at that point when Lisa went into long-term care and with that personal crisis that you went through how did you deal spiritually to keep your your spirits up and to keep positive well Faye, um as a minister you probably won't be surprised by this but i did a lot of a lot of introspection a lot of hard time in prayer as a catholic um i had kept my uh, i'm an early morning riser and i had for a number of years even up until covid hit uh an hour of adoration and oh, wow it really came to the forefront that the experiences that had been put in my life prior to, I, I truly believe, had set me up for what happened in 2013. And if I may, I'll give you a small example. My dear Aunt Lorna passed away in 2001, and I wanted to honor her memory uh, in some way. I didn't know how. And at the residence that she lived, where actually currently uh, my father uh, now resides, they were seeking somebody to uh, deliver large print books from the Ottawa Public Library. And I have a fondness for, uh, for books, love of reading, and I thought this would be perfect. And I did that for, I think, 15 years. And each one of the kids, so my, our children now are uh, 20, 18, and 16, and some of them weren't even born at that point, but they would come in with me three or four times a year and they were exposed to the environment in a long-term care home. And I would always say to them before we went in, you know, go up, give them a hug and you would see their faces light up. It didn't take long until after Lisa had gone in there that I realized, you know, and I truly believe this, the Lord was preparing not just me, but the kids, because when they stepped in there, when they stepped onto that locked dementia unit that Lisa's on, it, it, it wasn't novel. They had been there before. They saw the faces light up. They knew how to interact uh, with, uh, with, with the residents. So to answer your question, I think it was, um, you know, God's, God's hand in this, but also just, having been raised where I saw my parents do volunteer work and always that there was somebody worse off than you. And I can remember, you know, just, I look over my right shoulder and uh, sitting the kids down when they were 12, 10 and eight and saying, listen, this is devastating. We will get through this because somewhere there's people, there are people that are worse off than us. So we need to, and I hate to use the term because it's corny, but you know, make, make uh, you know, make lemonade out of lemons. And I'm grateful that I've got a, a wonderful uh, cast of very good friends and a very good support network that have allowed not just me, but the kids as well to excel and to uh, accompany us in this journey, this ongoing journey. So what are some of your experiences, Janice, with spirituality and for caregivers and, and people in long-term care? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, one of the things that I always um, 
I think about and I think it's been exemplified here by Matt, like just the dignity of the individual, you know, that we all have vulnerabilities, we all have uh, challenges and it's, it's really accepting those and knowing that there are ways in which uh, we can support each other. We also have to, as, as caregivers, we have to take care of ourselves. And that does involve both, you know, physical care, but in, in my world, and it's, it's about having that spiritual care to take the time to have the presence. I mean, uh, Matt talked about early rising and, and, you know, just having some time for reflection. I love to go in the woods. I love to go snowshoeing. Um, I have a little, my brother has a little cabin back the field and uh, I'll go back there and put on a fire and read a book. Like all of those things I think are really helpful to be able to find respite. I'll just tell you a quick story too. I mean, I, I was having a difficult time and I had a young child and my husband passed away quite suddenly. And just in terms of spirituality, I, I sat on this bench and I fell asleep because, you know, grieving, and we all grieve whether we're, uh, have actually lost someone or we're, you know, uh, experiencing anticipatory grief, I guess. And um, anyway, I fell asleep on this hard bench and I woke up. I didn't even know where I was, but I looked up and there was this absolutely gorgeous tree. And all I could think of was, there is someone, a higher being that's going to help me through this. And all of those branches are my family and they're holding me up and that's what's going to get me through. And for some people, it's their family. For some people, it's their friends. Like, it's just that sense that even though you may be alone, you're not really alone, you know? And if you have that faith, there is something or someone uh, that's going to uh, see a different side of uh, what's happening. I'm, I'm thinking back over, you know, this past year, there's been a lot of difficulties, a lot of barriers in our lives, um, a lot of hurdles that we have to overcome. What are some of the barriers that you find for yourselves, for other care partners that you've encountered, um, and even for people living with dementia, you know, what barriers exist that prevent them from continuing to experience and express their, their spirituality? As somebody who goes in um, every day, and I'll, I'll elaborate on that, to see my wife, Lisa, one of the greatest barriers during, uh, Lisa, during this whole time of COVID has been the inability to have physical contact. Um, so I have seen firsthand the devastating, devastating effects of isolation, especially mm -hmm. upon seniors. I've seen it with my own wife and I have vowed that come hell or high water, um, unless, you know, there's absolutely a reason to keep me from going in each day. I am in there to see her. And um, I've really come to not just appreciate, but see the importance of physical contact where I hold her hand. We actually dance now. When I come into the room, her room, all of a sudden she will put her, her arm on my shoulder. I'm like, whoa, 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 okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to dancing in a few minutes. But it's just <laughs> the the 
the necessity for touch my own students I, we we read about uh, as infants the importance and the effects of uh, of touch but I've seen it I've seen it with my own wife and I must share this that the other day two days ago when I left one of the nurses said uh, Matt she's so happy and uh, I just I take great pride in that because you know, it breaks my heart to see other residents in there who, you know, and I'm by far the youngest uh, care partner uh, mm -hmm. on that unit. And, you know, this whole COVID, it, it has impacted some of the uh, more senior care, care partners who cannot come in, who may not be able to uh, get tested, you know, twice a week so that we don't miss any days with our loved ones. So there's been all kinds of uh, obstacles but for me that was a, a major barrier was that inability and 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 having a pane of glass you know just inches apart you know I'll never forget the summer Lisa turned and I just saw her walk down the hall and it was this uh, I'll, it'll it's a memory I will never forget of her walking away and I would have done anything to go through that glass and just to hold her. Mm. And I'm grateful now that we, uh, as care partners, we have that opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a wonderful, wonderful um, observation, because I think this area of COVID and the whole restriction on visitation really, as you said, Matt, uh, brought so many people um, out of that very important contact. And I think, I personally think that for many people who weren't able to be with their loved one when they may have passed away, that it's just such a terrible guilt that's, uh, you know, over them. And I think, you know, support for them is so incredibly important right now. I mean, we all set our set up to be, I mean, I remember trying to be a perfect caregiver to be there to be whatever you had to be when you're supposed to be. But it's so incredibly frustrating sometimes. And, and when you don't do the right thing, which may be what you learn in a support group or me, I've taught to others. When I make that mistake, you can feel so guilty and, and that doesn't help anybody. So I think we have to be a little bit kinder to ourselves too, as family caregivers to be able to, um, you know, just have a little bit of space and uh, to be able to recognize no one's perfect too. I think that's a challenge sometimes. And, you know, our whole society, like we're not allowed to talk about our faith, you know, like you're not allowed to talk about work and you're not allowed to talk about it here. And, and I think that's a real struggle. It certainly is in my profession. There's something very spiritual and very intimate about being able to pray for someone else or with someone else. And I, I don't think we do that enough, frankly. That's whether you believe in a higher entity or you just are reaching out and wanting to care for someone. I, I, I think we, yeah. we need to do that more. And Janice, something you said earlier, it uh, I wanted to make the point here that, um, you know, it was when you were talking about being on the bench and we are physical and spiritual we are embodied spirits and so much of what we go through as care partners or caregivers focuses only on the bodily 
Mm -hmm. uh, I've said this before and I've advocated, I would love to see an intake list for spiritual needs that is more than two lines on a piece of paper. Which is like, what's your religion or something like that? It has exactly. nothing to do what, with meaningfulness or, you know, the quality of your relationship or the things that give you purpose. Like, that's, you know, you don't have to belong to an organized religion to want to be doing things that are meaningful, to be, to have purpose in your life, right? Just the fact that both of you have said that when you go into long-term care or you become a caregiver and you can put the smile on that person's face or you can touch them and complete that relationship, even if it's just holding hands or mm -hmm. dancing or listening to music or whatever it happens to be, I like to think outside the box and say that spirituality is more than just your faith belief. It's something that makes your heart sing, mm -hmm. puts a smile in your eyes and on your mouth. And it gives purpose to your day, to your life. And maybe that's one of the questions that should be asked when uh, you know people relocate to long-term care. What makes your heart smile? I think too, Lisa, we have to be cognizant of the caregivers as well. Because mm -hmm. they yes. require as much spirituality as, as the person in long-term care. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got a box, a huge box in my basement with all the files of everything that uh, transpired. And I don't like going into it unless I absolutely have to. And I did have to go through that uh, as part of an FDA. Uh, we're doing a meeting in a couple of weeks and uh, it was painful. But one of the positives is I took and I wrote down uh, to the best of my ability, everything that was brought into this house by people. And that journal will one day go to my children and they've seen, and this is, this is where early on in this horrible, horrible journey, there were bright spots because it was people coming in, right? We're called to be the hands of St. Saint, Saint, uh, Teresa's, the hands, we are the hands and feet of Christ. And it didn't take long for me to realize. And, and Janice, it, one of the greatest learning moments for me on this journey was the ability to put aside pride and say, yes, I need help. And I you. think I shudder to think where not just the what my well-being, but the well-being of my children, had I been too prideful and say, well, you know what, I, I'm okay. Um, thank you, but uh, I'll take the gift certificate, but uh, we're good. Okay, don't need any more. It was such an opportunity. But what really melts my heart is that my kids from a young age saw people unloading you know, uh, in, in some cases, it was a truck, but trunkfuls of food, our freezers were packed, gift cards for them. And that stuff they'll never forget. And I just think that was foundational for them growing and becoming the wonderful young adults that they've, uh, they've each grown into. And I'm, I'm grateful, you know, so there are bright spots along this uh, journey and uh, somebody once said it's uh, it's really your mindset there uh, you can find gratitude in many places so i know both of you in different ways uh, do an, a lot of advocacy work 
um, with regards to uh, spirituality, with regards to support of, uh, of uh, other care partners. Would you mind sharing just a little bit about the kind of work that you're doing and that, you know, help other people again in, in their own uh, lives? Go ahead, Matt, please. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I must begin by saying, even though uh, I've been teaching for 25 years, I am very much at heart an introvert. Uh, Faye, if you remember our uh, when we did our speaking here at the G7, uh, I think yeah. you had to hold uh, both of my legs down. I was so nervous before going to that podium with all those French dignitaries. <laughs> I, I realized, in, again, in this journey, that the Lord is using me in ways I never could have imagined and giving me the gifts to not just educate others, but to help them along their journey. One of the examples is I belong to and have um, for a number of years through the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration in the United States, an organization uh, that's been my uh, lifeline. It was a men's group. So all of us have a spouse who um, has either passed on or, or currently has uh, a, one of the three subtypes of uh, FTD. And they actually asked me about uh, a year ago to if I would take over. And so that's been really, uh, it's rewarding being able to help uh, others navigate. And, you know, I don't have all the answers and nor do the gentlemen look to me for all the answers. You know, it's a position I never thought I'd be in, but to be able to help others is very, very rewarding because others have, uh, have done that for me. That's great. That's wonderful that you're giving back so much. I hesitated because my advocacy is of a different format, I think, you know, just having been in long-term care space and, and researching and trying to improve quality of life of older residents in long-term care, trying to improve policies for family caregivers uh, has been a, a long time. My PhD thesis was on women and work and how to create better policies uh, in employment. So, so that whole research really drove uh, lots of thinking and writing and lobbying. Well, lobbying, trying to provide the evidence to demonstrate to policymakers that got to do something. And, uh, and that led to uh, increasingly, I'd always had worked with policymakers, but over the last decade, really started working with people, family members, with um, volunteers, with people who have dementia, have a, a, a diagnosis of dementia, to help to advise us on our research projects. Are we actually doing what we're supposed to be doing? And so that's kind of how I met Faye, maybe through the dementia strategy initially uh, in Nova Scotia, but I've done a lot of work more on that sort of the Royal Society report on restoring trust in COVID-19. And I will say the whole devastation of COVID and long-term care and the, you know, the, the lockout of family was really traumatic. I know it was not in the same way as, as the experience of family members, but being stuck in this house in self-isolation and not being able to do anything pushed me to a point where I've written so many opinion articles that I'm, now I'm just thinking, oh, I can do that. I can say what really should happen. So it's changed my way of thinking. It's not just about the peer-reviewed papers. You do need the evidence. 
but I think we, you know, for me, I've gotten a lot of rewards of trying to advocate for the family members. We have a project right now looking at family visitation patterns and yeah, so that's where I've gone down. I think, I think it's great. I think the other thing, I don't know if I, I wonder about this, um, when we think about spirituality and meaning, I know I'm not supposed to ask the question, but I, I found in my research is a lot of negativity around caregiving. And, you know, there is, I mean, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of frustration, uh, there's a lot of burnout. But I don't think we always recognize some of the positive aspects, like the the way that people can actually contribute to someone's quality of life by being able to go and visit and dance with them, like Matt was talking about. And, and what the positive benefits of being able to you know, to participate, to have the honor and the privilege to participate in someone's journey and someone who's very vulnerable and to know that you're doing the best you can do. I think that's really, really important to say. I don't know how you feel, Matt, about is there too much emphasis on positive aspects of caregiving? I'm not no, trying to- No, but you highlight such a key point, Janice, and that is we need, we need to be grounded on hope. We have to be. We have to be people of hope. Here we are, this whole podcast is about spirituality. Uh, there's so many other things that can pull us down. Um, I'm reminded, you know, when I do take the time to pray that, you know what, this is just a brief time here, you know, hopefully it's a long one, but it's the next one that counts the most. And it's what we do here that that counts. And uh, that all comes down to love, how we love you know, I'll be honest, right now, uh, you talked about writing, maybe I'll get you to uh, write the letter for me. Um, but I just saw something a couple of days ago, actually it was two nights ago, and I read it. And I sat at my table. And I was devastated for about 10 minutes. It was almost like a numb set over me because uh, back in, uh, in 2013, I got involved into the world of advocacy work when I called uh, an MP Claude Gravel, who was putting forth the, the first uh, private members bill for calling for a national dementia strategy. And, and since that time, I've been involved in the political side and have learned a lot. But I just read how the Senate, with Bill C-7, is sending back the amendments to Parliament. And one of those is going to be now, for those who think that they're going to be diagnosed down the road with dementia, that they can have um, put it in their directives to have euthanasia or assisted suicide. And I read that and I reread it and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't misreading it. And I was heartbroken because, and this speaks to what you were just saying, Janice, when I see Lisa, she can't, she can't carry on a conversation anymore, but I need to see her each and every day because when I go over there for the hour and a half, two hours, 20 minutes sometimes, she takes away all the negatives around my day and I'm truthfully able to forget about everything when I'm with her. And I thought, here she is, she can't communicate, but yet she, you know, in, in cognitive decline is able to give me more than I could ever imagine. And she doesn't know that. And uh, one of the people I've been blessed to uh, get to know along this journey, the Reverend Kathy Berry, 
she she wrote a book that's called that's called when words fail and it really reminds me that i don't need to have to have words with lisa i don't you know god god speaks to us in so many ways and that's why i think this whole issue around what the senate is proposing is it, it's just heartbreaking because just because somebody has a a diagnosis of dementia does not make them any less of a person. And this is the conversation that uh, we need to be having, not just in our, you know, around uh, in our places of worship uh, when, when they open up. And that's the work that uh, I've been undertaking over the last two years. But I think this really needs a, a wider conversation, uh, respective of people's beliefs. But we need to acknowledge that we're both body and spiritual beings, not just just the bodily. Can you talk a little bit more about your the work that you're doing um, as far as supporting people within um, congregations? So my involvement with Dementia Advocacy Canada, we were formed um, back in 2018. Uh, right after we, we were in Ottawa, people from around the country gathered when uh, they were with the new dementia strategy that had just come out. And uh, so we came together and uh, we formed Dementia Advocacy Canada. So it wasn't long after that, that a, a question came in from somebody up in, uh, I believe it was Whitehorse, asking about their place of worship and uh, that it wasn't very dementia friendly. And so one of the executive members had tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, would you be interested in um, investigating this? I'm absolutely. Well, I have to tell you, I jumped into this area of investigation and I jokingly say that I I embarked on a brand new under four year undergraduate degree that I knew nothing about. And I'm still involved in it uh, to this day. Um, I've been very, very fortunate to um, have had the opportunity to speak to some of the, um, the, key, the key people who have done research around the world. I think of John Swinton, um, Dorothy Lithicom, uh, whole array of people who have really educated me. So what I hope to do with that, uh, Lisa, is, uh, is, is to bend the ear of different faith congregations, be they from my own uh, Catholic faith, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, and just to get dementia on to, you know, get them to listen, to say, okay, what, what are we doing in terms of how we communicate with people with dementia and their cares? You know, what steps can we take to help people with dementia take part in worship? And what kind of an environment are we providing? Are we providing a safe and welcoming environment for them? So there's many different initiatives that can be done. Uh, there's not one cookie cutter model of doing this, but I think, and, and I tip my hat because um, it's been it's been very hard getting into um, some particular faith offices to speak with them, and this was pre-COVID. But I have been very fortunate to have had conversations uh, with different uh, faith communities around this, and I hope that they continue. Uh, in my area, actually, on my street, there's a Jewish uh, synagogue, and right before uh, days before COVID, I was scheduled to meet with the rabbi, and uh, so it's just a matter of having the conversation, putting these questions out to the key leaders, and then helping them maybe look at one or two steps and then maybe broadening it. So I hope with the help of different organizations across Canada, 
we might be able to get this conversation started because I know it's being done in small pockets, but if it can be a united front, uh, that would be really great. That's all we all want, I think, is to recognize that we're all human. Uh, we have these facets of, you know, spirit, mind, and body, and we have to nourish all of them. What would advice would you give a care partner at this time? I would really encourage perhaps listeners, uh, I'm going to offer two things, is to take the time for self and be selfish. Be selfish. Because if you're not well, the house of cards falls. My other one, I would really challenge people out there, no matter what your faith uh, denomination is, have that conversation with the key people in your place of worship. And I don't mean by that the minister or the, uh, the rabbi or the priest. They're busy enough. Ask them, what can we do to begin the process of making our place of worship more welcoming so that people with dementia and their care partners feel welcomed, that they're involved, and that they belong. What about you, Janice? Wow, uh, you know, Matt is a hard act to follow, I gotta tell you. <laughs> uh, you know, he, I, I agree with everything he said, and, and, and I'll only say it in a little bit different way, I think, around you know, a piece of advice to be at peace with yourself, to recognize what your limitations are, and not to be so self-critical or so guilty, but to also know that you, you need to take care of yourself first uh, in order to be able to be present with others so so I think that's that's kind of important uh critically important I would say so if we consider ourselves vessels or jugs whatever you want to call us and we're full of life and love for the ones that we're caring for if we empty that vessel or jug without replenishing it how can we continue to care for those people? Exactly. You, that's so true. That's exactly, that's, that's exactly so it. It's about being able to reach out in and see, you know, the water in the desert, you know, there's, but you're absolutely right, Faye, to be that vessel. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for, uh, for joining Faye and I today. Matt, thank you so much uh, for all of your insights. All the best to you and your family. And Janice, thank you so much for you. your time and for sharing, you know, those personal pieces of your life. Thank you so, so very much for your, uh, your time today. Thanks again to Matt and Janice, Faye and Lisa for today's episode. A special listing of resources on spirituality and dementia can be found on our website under resources. I am impressed with the range of guests and approaches that Faye and Lisa brought to us. We hope that this series helps remind us of the importance of honoring spirit that lives in all of us. Our next episode will return to the topic of COVID-19, this time with a look at the impact of COVID-19 on people living with dementia. 
Thanks to the Center for Education and Research on Aging and Health at Lakehead University and to the Public Health Agency of Canada for their continuing support. My name is David Harvey.